Hello and welcome to the Help With My Visa podcast, the show that tells you everything you need to know about travel, mobility and immigration. Because when it comes to these things, you can never have too much information. I'm your host, Gareth Richards, and today we've got a very special guest. He is a partner at global immigration law firm Fagerman, and he's come to talk to us about recent changes to the UK's visa and immigration system. Ian Robinson, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you. I'm really glad to have been invited. Thank you. It's a real, real, real pleasure to um, to have you on. And I think you're actually the first um, immigration lawyer that we've had on this podcast. So I'm sure it's going to be a very, um, a very popular show. Great. So um, you work as a, as a partner um, at, at Fragerman, and they're, they're one of the biggest immigration law firms in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about um, about what you do there? Yeah, so yeah, we are we're the we are the largest immigration law firm in the world, which is which is which is brilliant, but it's not it's not a characteristic that we would want to be characterized by. So our job is essentially to help employers and help individuals move around the world where almost anywhere they happen to be going in the world, wherever wherever they happen to be from. I work in the UK office. I'm one of our partners. I'm actually not an uh, not a lawyer, um, despite being a partner in a law firm. But my job is to help um, various bits to it. But the, the the largest part of it is to help individuals and employers navigate the UK immigration system, help them to find the best way to move to the UK in a compliant way um, that meets requirements of the law, but also meets business expectations. Mm. Within that, it's also about it's also about ensuring that clients understand, especially in times such as this where it's quite uncertain. We've had a period of time since the Brexit referendum where everyone has known or has assumed that free movement will be coming to an end. Um, but there hasn't always been a great deal of law or policy. It's helping people plan in the absence of law. Not, not, not a particularly comfortable place for a law firm to be in, if I'm honest. Uh, lawyers are taught uh, the importance of following law. But when it's not there, our job is to our job is to make the um, make make what's known about policy practical, so that employers can nevertheless um, plan. And, and part of that's benchmarking uh, what are other employers doing, what are your other clients doing, is the best quite, uh, question we ever get asked. Uh, and part of it is interacting with um, organisations and officials and politicians who are involved in. The development of policy and we aren't we aren't special in that lots of law firms can speak to the home office the home office is very good at um, talking to businesses um, but those conversations are so so important i i've been in charge of economic economic migration for the home office before i joined the the firm at a mid-level um, civil service position and you cannot do that job unless you are speaking to the people who are going to be using using the system frankly so we're, we're, we're fortunate that we're able to have those conversations just as others come to. Great. You, you mentioned um, people looking to, to apply for visas, but, all, but also employers as well. So is there a typical type of person that you would, um, you would work with or, or is it pretty much a, a broad spread of anybody who needs the kind of, kind of services you provide? Yeah, it's a broad spread. So we wouldn't we wouldn't tend to work on refugee matters uh, or or those particularly um, complex human rights matters that relate to refugees and and and, and similar. 
Um, but beyond that, we, I, we, we have a really, a really strong, busy practice that helps skilled workers move from one country to the other. For me, um, the UK is most important, but equally I need to be able to help clients navigate their way through immigration systems everywhere in the world. Mm. Uh, we have a really good tier four practice, or sorry, student practice um, to help students come in and also help universities and educational institutions stay compliant. And then our, I, I don't really tend to get too involved in it, but our private client team do an awful lot of work on global talent visas, on investors, um, innovators, uh, spouses, and other people who, though they may not be sponsored by an employer, have a good reason to come to the UK uh, and, and need to. Up until now, because of the law, most of our work on the work side has been in respect of people coming in for graduate roles. Something that we're, we're already seeing a lot more interest in is how can people who may not be working in a job that's considered to be graduate level, but are nevertheless skilled, uh, get to the UK in order to, to help an employer to benefit benefit the economy, really, and fill, filling um, skills gaps, whether they're at a national or a, a more local level. Right. So it very much is that broad spectrum of um, uh, individuals looking for, for sort of, I guess, the best the best total package of of advice and yeah. guidance on how to make the best of their situation when they're coming to the UK. It, it seems to touch quite a lot of different areas. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's interesting, actually. It's one you can never stop learning in the job that we do because, for a start, the law changes an awful lot. So if you're not mm -hmm. learning, you aren't doing, you aren't able to do your job. But also. If you only look at it from one perspective, whether it's the lawyer's perspective or the, the applicant's perspective or the employer's perspective, you're missing out on too much. And if we do our job well, we do it by being intellectually curious and asking ourselves, what does the entire picture look like across the immigration system mm -hmm. and across the, the roles and expectations of everyone who interacts um, with it, whether it's the, the people who visit um, help with my visa because they, they need help, at the law, at the law firms, and the um, other firms that are on help with my visa and can help people um, through the immigration system, or the HR people who are recruiting them, the policymakers, uh, the politicians who are who are developing policy. The, 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 I do a fair amount with the media, uh, and it's really important for the media to be able to cover these stuff. Hmm. And then, and then it's also about don't allow yourself to be boxed in. A, a project that I'm quite proud of that we've been involved in this year is called Talent Beyond Boundaries. And this is a project where Talent Beyond Boundaries have a, cut, a catalog of 30,000 forcibly displaced people in refugee um, camps who, who are skilled. And uh, for years now, they've been helping them find jobs in Canada and Australia. They are also increasingly um, speaking to UK employers about uh, people in those camps coming to the UK to sk fill school vacancies and it's not charity um, these are people who are good at their jobs and very capable mm. but circumstances have, have left them in the most dire of situations and it's it's economic but it's also it's, it's, it's nice that we were given the opportunity to work on that particular project and, and to see already see um, results coming through really Absolutely, that's uh, that, that's great stuff. So you mentioned um, changes in the law and and sort of keeping up with changes in the law. Just 
just earlier this week, there was actually quite a big change in the law in terms of um, how the UK's visa and immigration system works when the, the new points-based system went live and new skilled uh, skilled workers' visas. So how, how how does this change how people can, can sort of apply for visas to, to come to the UK? So the, the new points-based system is, it's the officials have done a good job of looking at the points-based system that was introduced by Labour in 2008 and has been changed in, I, I have no idea how many ways, but changed an awful <laughs> lot in the, um, in the 12 years since. And, and making it a, it, it's no less complex, it, it's still, it's not simple, it's still a complicated system, but it will be quicker and more user-friendly than what you would be used to if you're used to that non-European uh, points-based system. It's not as simple as free movement, of course. It couldn't be free movement um, is innately straightforward. Um, but the situation is such that under the new system, firstly, it applies equally to everybody in the world. So, of course, UK nationals don't need to worry about it, and, and nor do um, Irish nationals. Our relationship with Ireland um, is so, so important and goes back so, mm. so far that the Irish are, are, are quite outside of all of this. Um, but um, it applies to everyone else. When you're looking at it, you're then, you then have to ask yourself, the first question from my perspective is, what are policy officials trying to achieve? What are politicians trying to achieve in the system? And what they want is an immigration system that works for the economy, but manages numbers downwards. They don't want immigration to increase. The net migration target has, has gone, I think. Um, but uh, the Conservative Party is still keen that numbers are controlled. Uh, and then they want it to be a skilled um, skilled system. So in practice, that means we will have two, or we do now have two main immigration categories um, for workers. The first is the skilled worker category. So for this category, there are, there are certain hoops that you need to jump through in order to qualify for a visa. And if you're unable to, you, you're not gonna be able to come over and work with that particular um, permission. The first is that you need to be sponsored by a licensed employer. So sponsorship is essentially a contract between the home office and an employer. And for the home officer's part, their, their, their side of the deal is we will make it easy for employers, relative, <laughs> relatively easy uh, for employers, we will make it possible for employers to bring skilled workers to the UK so long as essentially that employer polices the system on behalf of the, uh, of the home office. The employer then, uh, in, in terms of policing, needs to make sure that the individual will be in a skilled role, I'll come to what that is, that they are paid enough, um, that they, um, if they abscond or don't arrive on, on the first day, that they will be reported to the home office so the home office can uh, look for them, um, that they know where the individual lives and works so that the home office, if they need to um, speak to them, can contact them. It's very, very rare. It, feel, it feels really Orwellian um, in some respects, but actually it's very rare. The Home Office would need serious concerns to knock on the door of a skilled worker visa holder, based on my experience. Um, if, if you can sponsor, uh, sorry, if, uh, in order to sponsor, you then need the licence that gives effect to that, that contract, so to speak. And that is a process of demonstrating to the Home Office that you are a legitimate organization and that you uh, that you have hr processes that will enable you to meet those and, and certain other compliance requirements right. 
the process takes about a month, maybe maybe two months right now. It could take longer if a queue forms as employers rush to be licensed. It's really, I'll probably repeat this, but if you're, if you're an employer or if you're um, expecting to work for, a, for an employer who doesn't have a license, but will need to sponsor a work, worker in 2021 to bring someone in from outside of the UK, um, you're going to need a license. And I'd recommend applying sooner rather than later. The worker then needs to be skilled, and that's at RQF3 level, which is A-level level. For an international audience, that would be a school leaver aged 18, a diploma level, uh, for instance. Um, they need to speak English, and English can be demonstrated by being from an English-speaking country, the US being an obvious one. Not all of them are obvious, so South Africa is not considered to be English-speaking. Really? That really annoys, yeah, that really annoys South Africans, um, understandably, as well. They speak very clear English when they um, when they do get wound up by that. Um, and it's not it's not great for them. Um, or, or you can have been taught a degree, um, uh, 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 qualified with a degree taught in English, um, and or you can pass a qualifying English language test among one or two other requirements. Right. If you meet all of those requirements, you then need to be paid enough for the job. And they, there are two tests here. For most people, they will need to be paid at least £25,600. Um, PhD holders, shortage occupation list um, roles, and younger people aged under 26, along with certain other new entrants to a profession, uh, can be paid £20,480. But you must also be paid the going rate for the job. And the going rate is set for every job in the labour market to stop overseas workers coming over here and um, employers using them to undercut the wages of UK workers. And for a graduate job, you're still looking, so a software professional, you're still looking at thirty-three to £36,000, for instance. Right. Most graduate level jobs, you're still looking at about £30,000. £30, and that can be lower, um, typically to about 70% if you are um 70% of the going rate if you are a new entrant one or two other categories but it's quite a quite strict requirement yeah. and that that will be what most people will use if you're if you're an assignee already working for a uh, company overseas and being assigned to their operations in the UK intra company transfer is available um that's a 5 year permission where a skilled worker is 5 years and, and then you can stay permanently ICT is five years for most people. You need to be paid forty-one and a half thousand pounds and have twelve months company experience. Yes. Um, I, I, to be honest, I think I will be telling most of my clients skilled work makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but ICT is quite good if a person doesn't have an English language qualification. In which case, it's, it's early days, but I can imagine we would be saying, come in with an with an ICT visa, get the English language certificate, and then move to the skilled worker visa, unless you can wait and get the certificate overseas. Um, and then the final, the final points I'd make on it are, it, it's it's not too slow actually. It's reasonably quick compared to most countries. So you you would be looking in both of those categories. At probably when the system's up and running smoothly, I should imagine um, most people will be able to, having started to collect the documents needed for the um, the application through to the point that it's granted, you're probably looking at three to four weeks or quicker if you pay for uh, priority treatment. Wow. That, that's not bad. Right right now, if you're a permanent hire coming to the UK, I keep saying right now, it changed on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but if you are a um, permanent hire coming to the UK, um, it would have taken three to four months because of advertising requirements and a cap on numbers. Um, it, it's faster. It's faster now. 
Canada, um, well, actually, no, not Canada at the moment, but Singapore um, will routinely be quicker than that. In some cases, uh, the Netherlands, not many other countries are as quick as the UK, frankly. Right. That's good to know then. So certainly speeding up the the visa application process, um, providing that, of course, your, your employer has that sponsor license in place. Um, yeah. Just on that sponsor license, does this increase the costs for, for hiring non-UK or Irish nationals for, for employers? What are, what are the costs associated with this? Yeah, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. I'm glad you asked, actually. I realised that I, I'd forgotten to mention that. It, UK uh, immigration is really expensive. So if we were, if we were um, a large employer employing you as a single man to come over here for three years, Government fees alone um, for the the permission. So and and that's and these are comprised of a visa fee, a certificate of sponsorship, a skills charge, and a health surcharge. Those visa fees for a large employer would be about five thousand seven hundred pounds. Wow! If you were if you were married with three children and your entire family were coming over here for five years, in government fees alone for those five years, you'd be looking at twenty seven thousand pounds for the entire family unit. Um, and then to stay at the five-year point and apply for indefinite leave to remain. Right now, that would be about another two or two thousand three hundred pounds each. So, what's that about? You're looking at about forty thousand pounds in total for a, a family of five. It's cheaper for smaller employers, um, whereas larger employer pays one thousand pounds per year for the worker as a skills charge. That's three hundred and sixty odd pounds for a uh, a smaller employer. Mm. But it still it still adds up, um, and it needs to be thought about carefully. The employer has got to pay for the certificate of sponsorship. They've got to pay for the skills charge. the The law assumes that the employee will pay for the health surcharge, which mm. is six hundred and twenty odd pound a year, and for the visa, which for three years is about six hundred pounds. Many employers, n- not all of them, and there are good reasons when they can't, but many employers will cover that cost for their um, for their employee. Right. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah. that's certainly good to know because it's um, it, it is a large amount of money that I know visas are expensive, and you know myself having lived in in four different countries, just just everything just costs. It's um, it, it it's sort of crazy how it adds up. So I think it's good to know up front that you know, there are potential options for your for your employer to to cover those costs or at least some of those costs um so you can concentrate on um you know moving yourself uh, and or family to to the uk or, or wherever you're you're emigrating to cool so that's that that's been a really big change and very topical uh having just come in this week um but there've been some other changes to how you apply for UK visas, leave to remain, whatever you want to call it, over the last sort of couple of years that are becoming more and more prominent now. And that's the use of um, sort of identity verification apps. I think we had the, the app for the EU settlement scheme, which has been highly successful by, by all accounts, more than, more than 4 million people using it. And another app that was launched just over the summer to um, sort of help people who are in the UK re-enroll and sort of apply for for new visas without having to give their fingerprints again so what 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 can you tell us about these new apps and you know do you think this is a direction of of travel that the uk government might take um overseas as well yeah um yeah the apps are the apps are good 
the absolute good and it's exactly what the government should be doing it's exactly what anybody um ought to be doing um frankly so the 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 main change in terms of mobile technology was the introduction of the eu set of status app the id checker mm. um a little while ago and that's for europeans who are in the uk before the end of the year um uh, in the uk before the end of the year to apply for pre-settled or, or settled status which means that they can stay here um, i may come back to it but it's really important for any of your listeners who are european and in the uk and qualify to make an application under that scheme by the end of june next year um, but the the technology itself so i i completely understand why many people are cynical about government it projects <laughs> the Home Office can be, yeah, I, I can see Gareth smiling. I don't know if everyone else can. Um, but the um, the Home Office can genuinely be proud of the success of the EU um, ID Checker app. It's gone it's gone so, so well. We are seeing a very version of that being used for um, Europeans where they make applications and build worker visa so that they don't need to make a, um, a visit to a um, biometric enrollment centre. Um, we are likely to see that rolled out for um, non-Europeans in the future as well, from from what I understand, from what from uh, what I've read. I, I think you can also expect it, it won't be long before most countries have similar technology in place. And the UK, uh, the UK has led the way, um, frankly, on this. And it's such a it's more secure than a biometric centre. It's more accessible. Um, it, it's, it will ultimately, uh, presumably, be cheaper for the authorities, which should bring other benefits, hopefully, to the um, customer, uh, and not just to not just to those de- uh, departments. It's a really, it's a really good, um, really good move. And I've concentrated there on the USS um, app, but the the in-country app has, has worked um, pretty well as well, actually. And the more the more that immigration can be done in that way, the better. And it, it, it's just part of a trend towards digital, uh, towards fewer um, hard copy physical documents, um, which we'll see at some point. I imagine um, passports becoming a thing of the past. I know the Australians are looking at that. I, I am personally of the opinion when I think about EUSS that so. I, I don't think it should only be, I don't think that digital should be, uh, I don't mind it being default, I don't think it should be the only do- document or the only option. For Certainly for people, I, I think of my old relatives who are a little bit older, they would feel much more comfortable with a physical uh, document and a physical process. Um, but it is, for most people, it is the best way to go in my, in my um, opinion. Yeah, I, I, I agree. While I haven't used the, um, these apps myself, I've used similar to, to open bank accounts recently. And it's, um, it, it's just such a breeze going on a few buttons, scan of your face. Um, and there you go, you're done. It's, it, it's certainly, yeah. it's certainly something that, that, that me and I think my generation would, um, would certainly want to, but I think that, that point that you made on accessibility for others who, perhaps don't want to use this sort of technology. I think that that is a really, really important point as well. Um, you don't want to be forcing everybody down down sort of one route where you know it might not be a, a case of a one, one size fits all solution. I think you do need that, that customer choice in there. Yeah, but it is, it's funny. I just thought as you were saying that about the first time I, um, I, I registered for Uber. The, the chances are that I was just on the way out of a pub in Brixton and not sure how to get home. But I remember just having to scan my phone over my cash card and that was enough for them to upload all of those. Uh, 
and you almost i was so impressed by that that was incredible um and you almost take it for granted now that the eu idea actually scans your um passport and uploads biographical and biometric data just instantaneously it's really really clever stuff yeah cool all right Ian. well um if and now i know we can't go into the sort of uh the fine detail about um providing sort of advice on how to apply for a uk visa but um you know based based on your experience you must have seen thousands of people over the years um and i say that in the nicest possible way <laughs> um i mean what would you say is the the number one thing that people should do when they're they're sort of thinking about applying for a uk visa what, what what's the first thing that they should do to to sort of make sure they get uh, get off on the right foot so i think that um don't feel overwhelmed um UK immigration doesn't always get the best press, but it's not the most complex system in the world, even though it is um, pretty complex nevertheless. Uh, I would say if you are, if I, can, if I can go with three groups of people quite quickly for each, if you are a European who is in the UK, then before, before the end of the year would be good sooner rather than later, but definitely before the end of June next year make your application under the eu settlement scheme if you if you don't the home office will accept some late applications not entirely clear when and if you, if you don't apply on time you could find it harder to you almost certainly will find it harder to find a new job rent a flat access some healthcare, open a bank account or so on really like serious stuff that can really turn a life upside down do please make an application on time if you are a applicant overseas um, who wants to come to the UK, have a look at eligibility. The if you the easiest way for most people is to come over to the UK self-sponsored. So, do you are you a Commonwealth citizen with a grandparent born in the UK and will UK ancestry work? Will you are you from a youth mobility country like Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and aged eighteen to thirty? Come over on youth mobility. Are you married, or are you in a um, relationship akin to marriage uh, with a UK national, or indeed an Irish national? In which case, uh, go for a partner, a, a partner visa. Um, I'll let you all um, speculate on what a relationship akin to marriage um, is and how that can be evidenced. Um, but do look at that. If not, then to qualify to come to the UK to work, you are going to be looking at needing to be in a, a skilled job. You're going to need to find an employer who has a sponsor license or is willing to get one, be able to demonstrate English language competency and be paid enough for the visa. If then for the final group, if you are an employer, uh, if you don't have a sponsor license at all, if you are going to need to sponsor people because they are either coming to the UK um, from the the end of the year from Europe or from outside of Europe, or if they are already in the UK and have a, um, a work visa already, chances are you're going to need to sponsor them. I recommend getting a sponsor license sooner rather than later. A queue will probably form. The Home Office is confident that they can um, deal with whatever size of queue forms. I have no reason to doubt that, but I would sooner be at the front of the queue than at the at the back, really. Absolutely. No, that, 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 is, that is amazing advice there. I think, uh, I think the listeners are, are going to sort of make, uh, make great use of that. Um, Ian, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm sure we could go on um, all afternoon as well. But just to sort of wrap up, if there's if there's anybody listening to the podcast who sort of wants to get in touch with Fragman about a, a visa or, or immigration related issue, what's what's the best way to do that? Um, the 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 best way is probably just email me my uh, me direct. If you were to um, Google Ian Robinson um, Fragman, 
my email my emails on my page on the website underneath a photo where I look like <laughs> James Bond's rubbish little brother in some suit. I don't know where I got it from. Um, I, I'm not like that in real life. Um, or my email email address is irobinson at fragman.com. Um, but easy enough to find on the internet. Uh, and and thank you thank you for having me on by the way this has been a nice way to spend uh, a, um, a friday afternoon actually amazing no well, as i said it's been a real pleasure um talking to you today and i think uh, you've covered some 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 very pertinent and very timely points on on sort of how to navigate this uh, this ever changing uk visa and immigration system so thank you very much for for taking the time to speak with us brilliant thanks mate so thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Help With My Visa podcast. If you'd like to be notified when the next podcast goes live, you can like and subscribe to our podcast channels. We're available on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also Spotify. You can find out more on our website at www.helpwithmyvisa.com slash podcasts. Until next time, safe travels.